see I'm trying to win a lot of friends this week with Sunday sermon on tithing and then <laughs> week, weekly conference on hell. So, I figured I'd better give the, the happy conference to Father Wood so that you know that he's indeed capable of happy thoughts. <laughs> evil that a man can 
suffered. I don't say it's the worst evil that exists because the worst evil that exists is sin. The offense against an infinitely good God. Sin is the worst evil. And that's precisely why we can say that hell is still less evil than sin. Less bad than sin, proportionately speaking. But for us men, it's the worst imaginable thing that could happen to us. To be condemned to hell. It's a place of the worst physical sufferings. All of man's senses are punished. It's complete and utter darkness. A darkness that some of the saints describe as so thick that you can even feel it. And yet, as we'll give an account of St. Jesus of Avila, you can still see all the horrors around you. A place where you are surrounded by demons. Some of us, a lot of us don't care for scary images, scary movies. You can well imagine what these demons look like. Catherine of Siena, in fact, once, or a number of times, would run from her cell where the demons were coming to bother her. Ran from her cell so that she wouldn't have to see them. Ran to the church. A great saint. I mean, this is a saint who could fast and, and live off the Eucharist. She was no... No wallflower, that's for sure. And yet she ran from her cell at the sight of these demons. In hell, the soul will hear moans of pain, cries of blasphemy, despair all around them, wails of pain. To imagine it should be enough to make us tremble. hear these sounds, to see what what we would see there, to smell what we would smell there, to taste the bitterness that we would sense there, to feel the flames that we would feel there, worse than any flames in this, in this world. To be alone, to know that you have no friends there. see, maybe even, God forbid, but I'm sure there's some there, a priest in hell, to know that he can't do anything for you. St. Teresa of Avila recounted as one of the greatest graces of her life, a vision of hell that God gave to her, a vision of her place in hell. She says that it was one of the greatest graces and something that she would go back to frequently in order to help her. And we're talking about a great saint here. A saint brought to the heights of contemplation. A saint who walked all around setting up foundations for the Discalced Carmelites. Who wrote copiously. Kept her peace of soul in contemplative state in its orbit. This is how the saint describes the vision that she had of her place, the place that God had assigned to her if she had gone there. 
Some considerable, considerable time after our Lord had bestowed upon me the graces that I've been describing. This is from the life of St. Teresa, if you're interested. And others, graces that I've been describing, and others also of a higher nature. I was one day in prayer when I found myself in a moment, without knowing how, plunged apparently into hell. I understood that it was our Lord's will I should see the place which the devils kept in readiness for me, and which I had deserved by my sins. It's most likely she never even committed a mortal sin. It was but a moment, but it seems to be impossible. I should never forget I should ever forget it, even if I were to live many years. The entrance to hell seems to be by a very long, narrow pass, like a furnace, very low, very dark, and very closed in. The ground seemed to be saturated with water, mere mud, exceedingly foul, sending forth pestilential odors, and covered with loathsome vermin. At the end of this long, hollow place was at the end of this passage, sorry, was a hollow place in the wall, like a closet. And in that I saw myself confined. All this was even pleasant to behold in comparison with what I felt there. There's no exaggeration in what I'm saying. My bodily sufferings were unendurable. I had undergone most painful sufferings in this life. And as the physicians say, the suffering the greatest that can be borne, such as the contraction of God, speaking of others of different kinds, yea, even those of which I have also spoken, inflation from a good God, separation from all goodness, period. To have to hear those words from our divine Lord who died for us. We can imagine as the book of the Apocalypse describes him this face is brass, the white garment on, golden girdle, and his voice, the sound of many waters. Our Lord, goodness himself, with the trophies of the passion in his, in his flesh, glorious, looking on us in judgment, and saying those terrible words, which Hopefully none of us will ever hear, depart from me, ye accursed, into everlasting torment. Go away from me. To hear that from goodness itself, to hear that from our Savior who died a bloody death for us, That would be the worst pain that we can imagine. The pain of separation. To know that we will never possess Him. St. Catherine of Siena said if poor mortals had a glimpse of the least of the torments, they would undoubtedly prefer to die ten times rather than to have to bear such a thing for one day. To have to hear those words of our Lord, to think that we lost that, all of that, for some fleeting pleasure, for refusing 
to remove an occasion of sin from our life. For letting some stranger through the internet destroy our innocence. Some person on the other side of the world or the country who will never know to destroy our innocence. To have to suffer all that because we didn't have the courage to tell our children, no, you can't have the internet. Because it will send you to hell. It's not for you until you have gained the virtue that you need in order to be true, even if we have to use this means later in life. It's not the time now. And I say that because I don't want you to go to hell. To not have the courage to do that as a, as a father, as a parent, could land us in some serious trouble, especially if we knew that there was a problem. To hear those words of our Lord because we refused the ease of going to confession. Because we slept peacefully on a studded conscience. And we looked ourselves in the mirror and we said, I know I should go to confession. Four days out of the week, the priests are in the box waiting to hear my sin, waiting to take that weight off me. But to lose that chance, to lose the gift of heaven, to have to hear those words of our Lord, because we didn't do something as simple as wait 20, 30 minutes to go and confess our sins and unburden ourselves. Or to lie in the confession because we're ashamed. Ashamed of what? The priest hears everything. You're not going to shock him. He's there to take away your sins. Well, he became a priest. I have to hear those words of our Lord because we were afraid of what people might think and not going to communion and adding a sacrilege on top of our other sins. <coughs> Maybe you accidentally ate before Mass. Maybe you're not disposed to receive our Lord that day. Don't add sacrilege. Don't add personal attacks on the body of our Lord to your other sins. What a shame it would be to have to hear those words, to be separated from goodness itself. And the fact is that hell is eternal. It's a dogma of our faith. Either hell is eternal or everything is a joke. God doesn't exist and the church is a joke. Because the church has declared that hell is eternal. Why? After all, the sins, the fleeting pleasures, they just last for a moment. Why? If I accepted just a fleeting pleasure, should divine justice require of me an eternity of punishment? St. Thomas responds, 
Suffering is proportioned not to the duration of the sin, but to its gravity. A man commits murder and still merits death or life imprisonment. Mortal sin has gravity without measure. The punishment, therefore, is proportioned not to the duration of the pleasure that we, we attained, but to the fact that it is an offense against an infinite God. Eternity isn't long enough to punish us for offending in a great way an infinite God. And not only that, when the soul departs the body, in whatever state it might be, it remains in that state, repentant or unrepentant. The souls in hell do not repent. They wouldn't change their mind. A soul in hell that walks past a priest in hell would not ask him, please hear my confession, because... He is in enmity with God for eternity. And of course, that adds to their torments. Hell is eternal. When we try and fathom what that word means, eternal, you can go to a mountain and start taking little rocks off that mountain and spend years and years and years doing that. Think how long it would take, and then we would have to go do it again. We can go move those rocks forever, and still it wouldn't be done. Or as I mentioned back in November, on the retreats, if you were to tie a rope around the world, take the smallest segment, and that's our life compared to eternity. Eternity is without end. Never would these souls be held. Never. And if we don't believe the authority of the church, at least believe the devils who are there. As one of them said during an exorcism, the teaching of the Catholic Church is that hell is true, but hellfire is far above what you can conceive it to be. It is beyond your power of comprehension. Then the devil went on to express his wish that he could be annihilated. And he said, I would crawl for a thousand years on points and needles and slide on keenly sharpened knives to get back heaven. And even if you don't believe the devils themselves, would you be willing to wager, even if you could have all the pleasures that this life would give, as fleeting as they are, as temporary as they are, as finite as they are, would you be willing to wager all that for an eternity of hell? It's quite the gamble. <coughs> One week from today will be Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday will be a great day of celebration, a day of celebrating the priesthood, the Holy Eucharist, our Lord's Last Supper. 
But it's also a day in which the church remembers this despicable figure, Judas Iscariot. And she says in the, in the collect of that mass, O God, from whom Judas received the punishment of his guilt, and the thief the reward of his confession, bring unto us the full fruit of thy clemency, that even as in his passion our Lord Jesus Christ gave to each retribution according to his merits, so having cleared away our former guilt, he may bestow on us the grace of his resurrection. The church affirms that Judas is in hell. But not only the words of the sacred liturgy point to Judas' eternal damnation, our Lord himself referred to him as the son of perdition, for whom it were better for him if he had not been born. It were better for him if he had not been born. But what we know about Judas is that like all the other apostles, he was called to be one of the intimates of our Lord. He was worthy of our Lord. He was as worthy as a man can be, worthy to be an apostle at the moment that our Lord called him. Come, follow me. We may well imagine Judas' joy on that day that our Lord called him and asked him to come and follow him. And Judas did. He left. He left his things. And he went and he followed our Lord. Just like all the other apostles, he was generous. He left his things and he went and followed the Divine Master. At one point the name Judas was not a pejorative name. At one point, Judas was one of our Lord's apostles. Of whom it is true to say, He who hears you, hears me. He performed miracles in our Lord's name. He cast out devils in our Lord's name. He was even given a special place. He was the burster. It's always a frightening thing to be the verser, given the patrimony before you. He held the purse. St. Thomas Aquinas thinks that he even received the Holy Eucharist the night of the Last Supper. It seems that he was there. He thinks that our Lord allowed Judas to be there even though the Lord well knew that he had, the treachery that he had already undertaken, that he was about to betray him, he had already committed a, a grave sin. And yet our Lord, as St. Thomas says, allowed him to receive communion as an occult sinner, so that future prelates wouldn't deny communion to those occult sinners. The hidden sinner might not be removed from communion from the rest. priest can only deny communion to a public sinner. Even if a priest knew that somebody had committed a sin, he would still have to give them, if nobody else knew, he'd have to give them communion. Maybe he even received the, the priesthood, the Catholic priesthood. The point is, Judas was an intimate of our Lord. 
He heard our Lord's words. He walked around for three years with our Lord. You can imagine all the graces that Judas received. And yet we know that he struggled with avarice. St. John makes reference to that when Judas, on that occasion when the, the penitent woman came and wasted 300 denarii of ointment on the feet of our Lord. Wasted and poured it all out. 300 denarii. They say it was about a year's wage. A year's wage for a person. And Judas is scandalized and says, why was this waste? Why, why this waste? We could have sold it, kept the money, kept the money and then distributed the money to the poor. Because he knew that the more money that there was in the purse, the easier it was for him to get away with his petty thefts and his avarice. He struggled with avarice. That's why he was willing to sell our Lord for a pretty measly price. And yet it's not Judas's avarice that put him in hell. It's Judas's despair that put him in hell. It was because Judas thought that the mercy of God somehow couldn't contain his sins that he's in hell. Because he was too ashamed to go back to the Master and ask for forgiveness that he's in hell. That somehow the furnace of the Sacred Heart couldn't burn up his sins. Which we know even the sin of treachery, betraying the God-man, is still just a drop of water in the furnace of the Sacred Heart. All the apostles, in fact, denied our Lord. St. Peter especially. Judas despaired. St. Augustine says that the traitor, the traitor Judas did not attain to, his, to this mercy, for the son of perdition, at whose right hand the devil had stood, had before this died in despair, even while Christ was fulfilling the mystery of the general redemption. Even he, perhaps, might have obtained this forgiveness had he not hastened to the gallows tree, for the Lord died for all evildoers. Nothing of the Savior's mercy found place in his heart given to petty cheating and a parasitical traffic. The godless betrayer, shutting his mind to all these things, all these expressions of the Lord's mercy, turned upon himself, not with a mind to repent, but in the madness of self-destruction. So this man, who had sold the author of life to the executioners of his death, even in the act of dying, sinned unto the increase of his own eternal punishment. The greatest sin he committed was despair, was giving up, was an absolute discouragement. Discouragement at the situation, discouragement at the weight of his sins, discouragement at everything. And he gave up, and now he's in hell. Have I not chosen you twelve, but one of you is a devil? In 1912, there was a 23-day exorcism of a girl named Emma 
Schmidt. She was, she was 30 years old. As usual, the priest did his best to find out the name of the devil so that he could command the devil and eventually cast it out. And having ascertained that the name of the devil was Beelzebub, he asked him, why, why is this girl possessed? And the devil responded, Beelzebub responded, he said, because her father has cursed the daughter. Why, asked the priest. You can ask him, said the devil. Believe me, at peace belongs. The exorcist asked, is then the father of the woman also present as one of the devils? And since when? Beelzebub responded, what a foolish question. He has been with us ever since he was damned. And a terrible sneering laughter followed, full of malicious joy. The exorcist responded, Then I solemnly command you in the name of the crucified Savior of Nazareth, that you present the father of this woman, and that he give me an answer. And a deep, rough voice announced itself, which had already been noticed alongside the voice of Beelzebub. The exorcist asked, Are you the unfortunate father who has cursed his own child? And with a defiant roar, No. Who are you then? I am Judas. What Judas? Are you Judas Iscariot, the former apostle? Thereupon followed a horrible, woefully prolonged, Yes, I am the one. This is howled in the deepest bass voice. It set the whole room a-quivering so that out of the pure fright and horror, the pastor and some of the nuns ran out. Then followed a disgusting exhibition of spitting and vomiting, as if Judas were intending to spit at his Lord in the person of the priest, or as if he had in mind to unloose his inner waist and filth upon him. Finally, Judas was asked, What business have you here? To bring her to despair, so that she will kill herself and hang herself. She must get the rope. She must go to hell. Has it been a fact that everyone that commits suicide goes to hell? Asked the priest. Rather not. Why not? Huh, we devils are the ones that urge them to do it, to hang themselves, just as I did myself. Do you not regret that you have committed such a despicable deed? Asked the priest. A terrible curse followed. Let me alone. Don't bother me with your fake God. It was my own fault. And then he kept on raving in a terrible manner. Such is the lot of one of our Lord's intimates, one who received communion from him, one who perhaps was even a priest, one who heard his words on a daily basis. Judas himself became, as it were, a demon. St. Teresa of Avila calls them those who do not love. Like I said, he wasn't unworthy when our Lord called him. Our Lord didn't call him to make a mockery of Judas. He called him because he was worthy at the time. He had talents. 
Talent's enough to be the first keeper. Talent's enough to be an apostle. Generous enough to leave everything to follow our Lord for three years. He lived closely to our Lord. He put his hand in the dish with our Lord at the Last Supper. People looked on him as an authority of our Lord. As an intimate of our Lord. And yet his worst crime is that he refused the movements of mercy from our Lord. And he came into the garden to betray him. And he kissed the divine master. He betrayed him with that parasitical kiss. Our Lord says, friend. He says, friend to, to Judas in that moment of betrayal. Friend. That's something to contemplate. Not only the goodness of our Lord, but the fact that Judas was so, so cold as to be unmoved by that familiar address of our Lord. Friend. Judas was remorseful, but he didn't have repentance. Remorse only tortures. Repentance delivers us. And it seemed that that's the greatest shame of hell. The worst thing about it is that it's filled with souls who wasted the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who refused his outstretched hands. The story of our redemption is far too beautiful for us to not be on the right side at the end. All of us as Catholics have been given an intimate knowledge of this divine plan. God, who created us then, knew from eternity what this plan would be. He knew that man would fall. He knew that he would prophesy the coming of a Savior. He knew that he would foreshadow that Savior over thousands of years. And then he became a man. God himself condescended to become a man, to walk on this earth, subjected to man, preaching to us, telling us the truth, sharing with his words hidden from the foundations of the world, performing miracles so that we might know He is indeed God, because man can't do this. Prophesying Himself, fulfilling all the prophecies that came before to prove that this is the only founder of a religion who has the power to fulfill prophecies that came before. This has to be the one. He did nothing but good in His life. And then to complete the plan of redemption, he suffered a cruel and gruesome death. He went to details in his passion that he didn't have to go to. He could have shed a drop of blood. It would have been enough, but he didn't. Because in his plan of redemption for us men, he wanted the image and the message to be vivid. He founded a church which would help continue this work of his. To not profit from such a beautiful plan of redemption, to waste all of that, to find
find ourselves in hell, having known that story, having known that revelation, having been given so many graces, even having been given the grace of tradition here in our day and age, to live in St. Mary's, a haven, to be given all of that and to waste all of that, to find ourselves in hell one day, what an absolute waste that would be. And that's why we can look and we can say there's no greater blasphemy than making void the passion of Christ. There's no greater blasphemy than making void, making vain, making empty, meaningless this passion of Christ. He shed His blood. For me, yes, but if we find ourselves in hell, we can ultimately say no. No, it went in vain. La Cordera, a Dominican of the 19th century, makes it clear that such love of God is what made hell. It's not justice, it's not divine justice that makes hell, it's God's love. Had justice alone, says La Cordera, created the abyss, there might be a remedy. But it is love, the first love, which made hell. This it is which banishes hope, or the condemned, or I condemned by justice might flee to love. Just think, it is God who came down to you, who took on your own nature, who spoke your language and healed your wounds, raised your dead to life. Deceive not yourselves, love is not a farce. It's God's love, God's love which punishes. God's crucified love. It's not justice that is without mercy. It is love that punishes. If Christ died to save sinners from hell in such a generous act of love, we can easily understand why the souls that refuse this act of love deserve an eternity of hell. God condescended to do such things. He who, in his last moments, didn't even think of himself, as he had nails piercing his wrists and his feet, as he had wounds all over his entire body, from the soles of his feet to the top of his head, where a crown or a helmet of thorns was piercing into his face. All he thought about was us. Thirst. I thirst for souls. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Infinite love for us has created an eternal punishment for refusing such love. We can't look at hell and say that's too much. We can look at our Lord's passion and say that is too much. He shouldn't have done that. But we can't look at hell, having seen his passion, and say that's too much. And he comes after every single one of us, just as he comes after Judas, just as he comes after all the sinners in the gospel, just as he came after this woman in today's gospel, this woman found in sin. I am the good shepherd. And the Good Shepherd gives his life for his sheep. 
Christ came to bless, not to condemn. What a waste. What a waste for us too. Think of all the fasting that we would have done. All the lengths that we have gone through. Think of all the confessions that we have made. Think of all the efforts we made to go on a retreat. Think of all the normal pains that we deal with just in this life. Dealing with difficult men. Dealing with stress. The pains of childbirth. Dealing with poverty. Dealing with hunger. To waste all of that in the end because of, I don't know, one mortal sin? To waste all that because again, I refuse to take the means of grace. I refuse just to take some time to go and make a new confession. I refuse to get rid of an occasion of sin. <clears throat> to waste all of that. We can't go halfway. We have to go all the way. We have to accept the entreaties of our Lord's mercy. When we're in the state of sin and He beckons us to come to confession. When we try to sleep because in although being in the state of sin we hear that voice of conscience pricking us. That's our Lord saying to Judas' friend. He wants us. He's the good shepherd. We must appreciate and we must unite ourselves with the passion of Christ. We must remain one of His apostles. Of the twelve, one of them didn't make it. Those are our Lord's chosen apostles. The souls who He called to follow Him closely. The first, the foundations of the church, the first bishops, the first pope. If one of the twelve of them didn't make it, imagine this room. What if one out of twelve of us don't make it? I think it would be a miracle of grace if everybody in this room did make it. And if I'm in the state of sin, I owe it to the passion of Christ. I owe it to my own soul, which God lovingly created from eternity and love from eternity to make a good confession no matter what the sins are that I have no matter what occasions of sin I know I will be forced to get rid of I owe it to the passion of Christ I owe it to my own soul the only sin that will put us in hell is final unrepentance And if we are in the state of grace, to clutch the fear of God, not a fear of hell that pushes us to scruple, this is a blasphemy against the mercy of the Sacred Heart. It's not that kind of fear that we're after, but a true filial fear of God as our Father. Fear of God is a gift of the Holy Ghost, and the gifts of the Holy Ghost remain even in heaven. We will retain the fear of God even in heaven. A 
holy filial fear of our Father. And we can always look at Judas and realize that hell is a distinct possibility for me as long as I'm a wayfarer. Because it doesn't matter how intimate you are with our Lord, you still have to fear Him. You still have to answer His entreaties of mercy. You still have to remove those stepping stones to despair. Those little sins that build up the adverse of Judas, the petty thefts, that surely build up and led ultimately to despair. May the graces of this conference push all of us to contrition and to a holy and healthy fear of God as our Father. Not God, the lawmaker, God our Father. This is the fear of the Lord. And it's not as perfect of a motive as charity. Ultimately, we want to have charity. We want that to be the perfect motive that pushes us. But just as St. Teresa of Avila recounted the vision that she had of hell as one of the greatest graces that she had in her life, something she referred back to from time to time, so too for us, none of us can say, I can do without fear. I can do without the fear of God. I can do without the contemplation of hell. No, it's a distinct possibility for any of us until we find ourselves safe in the bosom of our Lord. Hearing, hopefully, in fact, His voice saying, Come with me. Come and enjoy the kingdom which is prepared for the blessed of my Father. And may this conference as well dispose of all of us to lay the foundation for tomorrow night's conference on mercy that Father Franks will give to you. I encourage all of you Thank you for your generosity in coming and a good showing with, to encourage you to finish out the parish mission strongly to come back and hear the final words tomorrow night. So we'll end obviously here with benediction and rosary. And we'll say